0: In your hearts enthrone him, there let him subdue all that is not holy, all that is not true. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Not unlike our Lord Jesus in his context, Jeremiah the prophet is preaching at a time of great political tumult. But he has an interesting answer. One wonders why he doesn't hear, stay in your lane, Jeremiah. You're part of the right-hand kingdom, not the left. Our errors aside, Jeremiah has a solution for all the political problems of his day. Ready for it? Go to church. Keep the Sabbath day holy. God commands him to go to the gate where the leaders would walk in and out as if he were saying, go to Washington, D.C. and tell them that if they want a solution, the solution to all their problems is this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean for us? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. The problems of our own day are not political problems, they're spiritual problems. It Might be worth considering, if for nothing else, the laughs, the next time you're arguing with a family member or a friend or perhaps even a coworker at work about politics, you might simply ask them, when is the last time you were in church? And of course, if they weren't in church any time recently, you can say, your opinion is void. If the solution is to be found at church, then those who don't go to church won't have the solution. Now, I can already hear skeptics in the background going, Well, Pastor Rodi, that was true for Jeremiah because Jeremiah lived in a theocratic state, very different than the state in which we live. The Lord has anticipated you. <laughs> hear once more. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, for those of you scrambling to find it, verse uh, 7 of chapter 18. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. The message, hopefully, is clear and obvious. Christ rules over every last nation. Those who return from their evil ways, he will bless. Those who pursue their evil ways, he will curse. It's just that simple. Waters have gotten muddied, of course, Times have gotten confused. We live in a day and age in which the two kingdoms doctrine has been identified more or less with a separation of church and state, neither of which have to do with the scriptural teaching or the teaching of the Lutheran confessions. In times of confusion, there's often more heat than there is light, and this is certainly true of our own time. To repent and to return to the Lord is to do nothing else than to return to his word and see what he says. If your ideal is a secular nation, quote-unquote, led by a pagan ruler, that's not what the scriptures have in mind. Nor is that what you learned in the small or large catechisms of Martin Luther not least of which in the former, the smaller catechism, we are taught to pray for faithful and devout rulers. Faithful in promoting abortion? Devout in rewarding the wicked? No, faithful Christians, devout in their piety. That is the ideal. Oh, but I can once again hear the voice of those who disagree. What about a quote unquote Christian king who is wicked? Well, what about him? A pagan's going to be wicked. Even if a pagan rules according to natural law, and God be praised if he does, that's not sufficient. Psalm 2 teaches all the rulers of the earth ought to kiss the prince lest he be angry. All The rulers of all the nations and kingdoms must bow the knee to Christ, and they will be accountable by him for the ways in which they ruled. They are beholden to him, and their office flows forth from him. After all, when we Lutherans talk about the right hand and the left hand kingdom, these are the hands of Christ. To pivot in a different direction, in our times of confusion, we're liable to not even understand these very simple words that God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. Once more from verse 7, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom... We live in a time and a place where the spiritual attacks are no longer, by and large, on the doctrine of justification any more than they are, by and large, attacks on Christology or the doctrine of the Trinity. The real heat, the real fog of war, has to do with anthropology, has to do with what it means to be a human being individually and what it means to be a human being in society, that is, humanity collectively in the heat of this battle in the fog of this war we've lost sight and can no longer even define what a nation or a kingdom is or how on earth these might be distinct maybe there's even a temptation to relegate these to the old testament you know marcian style we don't listen to the old testament we have the new testament god Woo! what heresy god is the same yesterday today and forever not least of which our Lord Jesus, when looking forward to the times of his coming, will say, nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. So it does benefit us then to pause and say, what is a nation? What is a kingdom? Biblically, again, if we return to the Lord, not to our favorite pundits or universities if we return to the lord it becomes crystal clear here is a definition a nation comes from the word ethnos ethnos is a body of persons united by kinship culture and common traditions from the greek ethnos comes the word nations the root of which you can hear nat like natal or uh, native Okay, So a nation is simply one who is born there. It's a people group. Now, nations can also be their own kingdoms in an ethnic state or an ethnic kingdom. There are many such ethnic states and ethnic kingdoms around the world today as there always have been. But it is also the case that a kingdom may absorb more than one nation. In some cases, many nations. You might think of the Greek kingdom under, oh, what's his name now? Alexander the Great, one of my son's heroes from his books. Alexander the Great has many nations under his kingdom. The same is true for the Roman Empire. Many nations are under that kingdom. And the same is even true for the United States of America. There exists and dwell within our borders more than one nation. So then we have an understanding of what is a nation, what is a nation-state or nation-kingdom, and what is a kingdom. These things are very clear in the scriptures. Why these things are also so important for us to keep in mind is because ethnos... Ethnicity, nation, where one was born, tie in with a 16th century word known as race. This is the first time in which race is spoken of, and race is used as a word that is connected with ethnicity. Indicative of the confused times in which we live, people are shouting from inside the church, very often from leadership positions within the church, that there is no such thing as race. We are all one human race. Pause and consider. Is that not exactly parallel to saying there is no such thing as race? man and woman, no such thing as male or female, there is just humanity. Is it not the case that there is humanity, and humanity is expressed precisely in male or female? It is likewise the case, then, that there is humanity expressed in the nations, the family groups, the ethnos. So, It's not either or, but both and. We exist as members of a nation, and that's true whether we have a kingdom over us or not. It is also true that there is some fluidity between nations as the centuries roll on and one nation absorbs another or intermarries with another. For example, biblically, we are told that a sizable number of the Egyptians leave Egypt with the Hebrews and go through the Red Sea. We never hear again of these Egyptians coexisting as two nations But rather, as they intermarry with the Hebrews, they are simply absorbed in and become one with them, one Hebrew nation. So there are indeed races, and God wouldn't have it any other way. If one goes back to Genesis chapter 10 and the genealogies that flow forth from Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, One will find that before the fall at the Tower of Babel, God has already divided off the peoples into different nations with different languages and different places in which they live. In other words, race is good and wonderful and part of God's design. So don't listen to those who say there is no such thing as race. Again, that's just not true. It is also not true that we must march lockstep with the spirit of our age, radical egalitarianism, which allows us to see no differences between one race and another. That's absurd. It's biblically absurd. Consider first a non-biblical source. Here is the Roman Emperor Julian. Listen to this. Come tell me why it is that the Celts or Celts and the Germans are fierce, while the Hellenes and Romans are, generally speaking, inclined to political life and humane, though at the same time unyielding and warlike. Why the Egyptians are more intelligent and more given to crafts, and the Syrians unwarlike and effeminate but at the same time intelligent, hot-tempered, vain, and quick to learn. For if there is anyone who does not discern a reason for these differences among the nations, but rather declaims that all this so befell spontaneously, how, I ask, can he still believe that the universe is administered by a providence? Or what about Paul? who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pens the words, all Cretans are liars? Or what about our Lord Jesus, the very one who pens the Scriptures through the Holy Spirit and calls, as we heard last gospel lesson, the Canaanite woman, a dog? None of this was racist before the 20th century. In fact, racism as a word is invented in the 20th century and doesn't even come into popular usage until the 1930s. Whatever hatred there may be between one man and another is just plain old hatred. It doesn't need a special and dubious term like racism. By and large, the sin of racism is a false sin, and one of an American religion, not the Christian religion. For example, go searching through your scripture or look in your Bible index for the word racism. Let me know what you find. Bias and preference aren't sins either. Does someone call you a plantist because you choose to have roses in your garden and not carnations? Does someone call you a foodist because you prefer pizza to hot dogs? Does someone call you a denominationalist because you happen to like Lutheranism better than Pentecostalism? Bias and preference are simply built in. And it's good. It's all good. It all existed and never once Is it denounced as a curse put upon us by God or as somehow sinful for us to acknowledge that, lo and behold, we're not all the same? How glorious, then, to hear these words of Scripture that remind us not only that Christ rules over the nations, but also these words penned by a wonderful Christian woman, Carolyn Noel, herself a pastor's daughter in the Church of England, who took up hymn writing once more when she was suffering from crippling debilitation. Not only does he rule over the nations, but as she says, in your hearts enthrone him. There let him subdue all that is not holy, all that is not true. The fight between God and Satan continues to be a fight of truth against lies. And our Lord Jesus Christ is that truth incarnate. It is he who takes on not only Hebrew flesh, but of course by extension all human flesh. And in that flesh, regardless of your race and ethnicity, he becomes your one and only Savior. Through him, every human being, every nation was made. And through him, every human being, every nation has been saved. That is the objective proclamation of the gospel. That on account of the Hebrew flesh, Hanging from the cross in the first century, the flesh of all nations, the families of all the earth are eternally blessed. So let us instead then rejoice in God's good, diverse, wonderful, and unequal creation. Let us rejoice in he who rules over us in order to bring all nations to himself. Indeed, nationality isn't even something lost to us when we enter the new heavens and the new earth. When I am raised on the last day in my body and you are raised on the last day in your body, you won't look over and say, why does Pastor Rodi look like an Asian woman? Because I'm me and I'm going to be raised as I am. And you're you and you're going to be raised as you are. And as the scriptures say, the glory of all the nations, the glory of all the ethnicities will stream into the capital city of the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. And together, uniquely, wonderfully, and diversely, we will praise the one who has saved us all.